You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Owen Egerton is the author of the novel Marshall Hollinger is Driving. His new book is a collection of short stories titled How Best to Avoid Dying. Thank you for joining me, Owen. Well, thank you for having me. Owen, this is a really interesting collection from the first perspective because it's a collection of very short, short stories. And I'd like you to talk to me about working in that form. I've been told, uh, there's a writer, Tom Grimes, a novelist, who says that you're either a short story writer or a novelist, and there's very few folks who succeed in both. I don't agree with that, but I do believe that in a lot of ways you're foremost one, and the other is compliments and comments on the other. For me, I kind of naturally lean towards novels, just where my my mind kind of goes. I like the longer stories. I like the the room. Uh, But I find that short stories offer... Um, a certain, a certain freedom. Um, maybe it's a the same sort of freedom you find, like uh, in writing a song versus a symphony. I, I think this is much time it takes to go to both, and I, I think though that you can kind of uh, jump into a story, jump into a world, allow for outrageous things to happen, uh, because it's it's all going to end within ten pages, and it allows a certain sort of freedom there. So I'm a big fan of the form. One thing that I found really interesting with with your stories in here, the way you mediate reality and change it on, pull the rug out from us without us even really knowing it, and the way you immerse us in the stories. Well, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, yeah, there's it, there's a, a, a sense, I mean, I think... Uh, one of the beauties about reading uh, is that we, we enter into a world. We, we allow ourselves to believe this, this particular world is real. And uh, I, I think actually with that, there's a certain responsibility that writers have. I mean, you have readers who can get really upset, and I have too. I get really upset when a writer has a character do something that you know. You know within a few pages this character would never do. Uh, or something happens, and you're so angry. And I believe the reason you're angry is because you've entered into this relationship with the writer. You're saying, I- I'm-, I'm going to believe what you tell me. I'm going to follow, emotionally invest in this world that you create. Um, so, yeah, I-, I appreciate you saying that. That's, that's something I-, I take quite seriously, of uh, people investing in-, in the worlds and characters that I put down on the page. Your language is really scrubbed clean, and this, as I read this, I felt like it was just had been polished to within an inch of its life. When you write these stories, do they just come out just like this, straight out of your brain, or do you have to go through and polish them to death? Um, every now and then, you might get a sentence that comes out straight from your brain. What I do often, um, well, Josh Hemingway said something great about it once. Hemingway says... Um, you write in hot blood, like in the middle of an argument. And then you go back and revise when you're in a cooler temper. <laughs> and I think there's something to be said of that. I, I, um, I'm a big believer in uh, writing and writing fast. A lot of my first drafts 
um, are full, filled with sometimes nonsense words, um, just because I don't want to stop from typing. So if I don't have the next word, maybe I'll have the next sound or the next sort of feel. And then when I go back, I trim that out, uh, and I find often that, that the more revision, uh, the closer you can get to it, the more powerful the story is. One thing that I find really interesting about your work is it's very confrontational. It's very in-your-face. When you're writing a story like The Fecalist or yeah. Lord, Lord Baxter Balsington, uh, <laughs> these are stories that, that are going to, from the get-go, immediately alienate a pretty big number of readers. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Hopefully not too many. Um, yeah, there's a thing, you know, I keep quoting other people, but I, I, that's all right. They said it before I did. Charles Mingus, who's a jazz musician I really like, but a lot of people don't. But he uh, was asked about, like, oh, gosh, you know, some of this music is hard to get into, or it's not as catchy as maybe you want it to be. You know, how, how do you feel about that? And he goes, well, good that people aren't liking it. Not everyone should like this. And that kind of works. Um, I feel a bit like that, too. I mean, I, the movies that I... Uh, I like to see, and the books that I like to read do have something that's like, whoa, that has a taste, that has a flavor to it. Everyone likes vanilla ice cream, but very few people say vanilla ice cream is their absolute favorite. That's why we serve vanilla ice cream at parties. Everyone, you know, well, all right, we'll have a, we'll have a, a scoop of that. But give someone like pumpkin ice cream or, or pecan ice cream, that, that's what they'll call their favorite. Well, that's a really interesting perception. Your work also is very funny, makes you laugh out loud, but simultaneously, it's really dark and disturbing and creepy. Uh, <laughs> making those two work together isn't easy. No, um, no, I, but I, I for me, it's it, it's strange. Strangely enough, it, it comes pretty. <laughs> I don't want to say naturally; it's not quite it. Um, you know, it, it just it, when I approach. Uh, dark subjects, um, I find that the easiest way in is through laughter and through humor. And I also think it's the easiest way in in some ways. Well, it's a one way in for, for readers as well. Um, humor has this ability to kind of twist our perspective, um, a chance to just sort of see things in a slightly different tint. Uh, and when we do that, we see things about a subject that we didn't see before. Um, it changes perspective, it changes a ratio, and, and, uh, and we, we realize new things. Sometimes when we know that a heavy subject is coming our way, whether it's something about God or death or, um, or love and marriage or something like that, when it comes our way, uh, we can put on our serious face, and we cross our arms and we nod and we say, mm, yes, yes, mm, serious. But when it comes with a joke, at the same time, not a joke that leads in, but a joke about death, but suddenly we laugh, and we're surprised because our body has had this physical reaction and something that surprises us. And in a way, we open our mouth, and the ideas sneak on in. And uh, I find that can, that can be really effective. You, the stories you write are in some sense, kind of like a genre fiction, science fiction, and, mm. and horror, but they don't read that way. Mm. There's a, a, a story uh, about uh, the spelling, uh, about the, the spelling contest, yes. which is used to 
the children are suspended over cages. It's really, really distressing, and it's all about they're battling for oil reserves. This, yes. is, this is a very kind of science fiction scenario. I, I, how much are you informed by science fiction, and how much are you informed by just weird literature? Well, um, you know, a friend of mine and a, and a good writer, Neil Pollock, uh, wrote a blurb for my, for my book, <laughs> which I really enjoyed, saying if Kafka had watched too many midnight movies, he'd be Owen Edgerton. And uh, <laughs> I kind of lo- like that. I spend a lot of the time at, at a movie theater here in Austin called the Alamo Draft House, and I watch these midnight movies, a lot of these, you know, B movies, uh, these strange sci-fis, these um, strange g- genre films. So, oh, they, so you're watching the Harry Knowles festivals and such. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, Harry will bring some great films like that to your attention. And uh, those movies uh, strike me because they, when, uh, when they're good, they strive to entertain. They strive to wow you. Um, and, and they often have these really cool ideas at the center of them. Um, they're not the ones that are being shown in art houses or getting Academy Awards, but there's something pretty fascinating about them. I also think, actually, you know, I, um, I was, uh, my undergraduate degree was in literature, and I got my MFA in creative writing from Texas State. And I've always, I enjoy the, uh, the more literary writers and, and the things they do. I think it's great. But I think in America, I think the literary scene is moving towards a mixture of, it's not just highfalutin pretty sentences, but combining with sort of the, um, the cool things about genre. You know, in the 1920s, there's this idea that, you know, some of the postmodernists and the modernist writers are like saying, plot is dead. We don't do that anymore. Plot. Ha <laughs> ha. But there's something wild about plot. There's something great about not knowing what's happening next. I, I love it if a book starts out with robots tromping through a preschool. <laughs> One thing that that I think is interesting is the way that you manage to keep things real but surreal, Mm. and you plunge us into these situations that are, are, you know, frankly, quite absurd and could just, as in the world that I understand, just not ever happen. But you pursue them with a kind of doggedness that makes them seem real. You know, I think part of that is... Uh, part of that is just the absurdity of our own world. I mean, American Idol is absurd, but it's, it's just sort of crept up on us, and we're, we we learn to accept it. Well, it's kind of uh, horrifying too. <laughs> yeah, it's horrifying. Um, our our world situation is pretty absurd, uh, but we're so close to it. You know, it, it's it's you know the the whole idea of the frog that you leave in the water and turn it up slowly, slowly, slowly to boiling won't hop out because the temperature never changes that much. So um, George Saunders, who's one of my favorite writers uh, working today, he writes, uh, when describing his world that he talks about, uh, that there, there are worlds but 20% more. And I, I think that can be a good description of some of the things in some of my stories. They're t- like spelling, for example, is, is just sort of 20% more. In a world where we really do sp- spend more time talking about American Idol than we do about what's happening overseas uh, in Iraq, it's not too far to kind of imagine, uh, you know, a situation where we do fight our wars with spelling bees. Of course, it's ridiculous and absurd, and, it, and that helps uh, highlight the situation. 
but it's 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 alien. It's it's close enough to home. You got to be able to swallow and say, "Yeah, I'll believe this for a while." You use the, your stories too for a lot of social commentary. Yes, and you really make some strong points. What chooses you to make social commentary right? Social commentary in a such a compact form where it. You know, these stories are just like maybe take five, ten minutes to read. Mm-hmm. And, and also in such an absurd form because they're just totally weird. <laughs> well, uh, let's see. I think I think part of it is I, I, I try and avoid going to a story or going to the page with an answer. Um, I try and write from questions. Um, I find that stories that know what they want to tell me um, become dull. Um, if, if the writer's not being surprised by his own story, then the reader's not going to be. So, um, in a way, um, I think some, some of the absurdity that happens uh, is there. Uh, it's because, well, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm talking about. I'm really exploring an issue. Um, so, for example, in this particular collection, death being the primary thing I explore, but of course also social issues like our relationship with art and the fecalists, our relation, sexual relationship and Lord Balsington and some other things. Um, I go to it with that question, and I roll around with that question for a while. Um, but the answer to the question is not what ends a story. The story finds its ending like a song finds its ending. Like, there we go. That's the last note. And uh, as you know, any song that goes on too long, like, that can really kill a song. And I feel the same way for a story. It's like, you found your ending. Stay there. It's okay. It's okay. You don't need to. You don't need to tell us everything. And, and indeed, you, you don't tell us everything. I, w- there are several stories in here that are a single paragraph. And I have to ask you, what makes you decide that that a single paragraph is a story? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, and I suppose if someone wanted to battle me and say that's not a story. I would nod my head and say, okay, it's a paragraph. <laughs> and I wouldn't feel too bad about it. Um, yeah, the, 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 I, I think uh, as a collection, as I was putting this together as a collection, at first I was writing the stories. I realized that these were sort of thematically commenting on each other and finding something. Um, so the short pieces, as I, I found that I had, uh, I found they fit kind of like a, songs on an album fit together, how they kind of create something really, really cool, how they, how they fill a space and they fill a sort of a, a taste. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's hard to say. If it's not a story, oh, I've got a little crying kid running through the room. Uh, if it's not a story, that, that's totally fine. But uh, I do like the idea that we should re-examine always what a story is, what we decide to call literature, what we de- decide to define as genre, and what we decide to define as high art. And kind of mess around with it. And the more you mess around with it, the more things you discover. We've been speaking with Owen Egerton. His new collection is How Best to Avoid Dine. Thank you for speaking with me, Owen. Oh, it's a pleasure. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.